today we're going to be talking about uh, God's presence and promise. God's presence and promise. Uh, I'm sure we all agree that we live in a world where people often, more often than not, make promises that are too good to be true. Uh, so our natural response to any promise made is being skeptical. Yeah? Uh, starting with the politicians and, and their promises about the good days to come, to our employers and their promises of the good race to come, where always, often, we find ourselves being left high and dry. And I, I don't know how many of you have how many of us have been seeing these trending memes, expectation versus reality? This is what you expect, this is what your reality. Our life has become that meme. We, our expectations are so high and reality is so far. Don't we all relate to this? If we have to be honest, we are not always on the receiving end of these promises. We also do make these promises. Let's be honest. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the Bible, uh, and, and we're going to be looking at God's promises to us, and we're going to see how His presence uh, uh, comes along with His promises and the interplay between that. Uh, we're going to be looking at one of the most important uh, promises that God made to His chosen nation, Israel. Uh, the passage is taken uh, centuries before Jesus and uh, it'll be, if this is your first time and you're wondering why is it relevant, uh, you'll be surprised at how relevant it is today. Allow me to give us some context into what we're going to read. Um, so God's chosen nation Israel uh, to bring Jesus into this world was stuck in slavery in Egypt for 40 years. And God miraculously rescues them out of that slavery. And uh, this passage we find is in the book of Numbers, which is in the part of the Bible, like I said before, Jesus. Now, God rescued them from there, uh, and he promised them a land, a land to make it their own. And this land is called Canaan, and it is often known as the promised land in the Bible. If you follow Jesus, this, this is known to you. Now, the entire nation of about six lakh people traveled in the desert, walked in the desert for about a year, witnessing God protecting them and providing them in miraculous ways on various occasions, parting of the Red Sea, uh, many movies made on that, providing food from the, uh, for them from heaven, providing, rock out of, uh, providing water out of a rock, many such miracles just protecting them and providing them for a whole year. And now they are almost about to enter into this land. They're just here, and, and uh, they, before they enter, uh, they want to go and do a recce of this place. So Israel is now divided into 12 tribes, and they pick one person from each tribe. So 12 spies go and do a proper recce of this promised land. What is this land like? And this is where we find the passage for this morning. That's, that's the passage. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Najib. The Hittites, the Jebusites, uh, ignore the pronunciation, 
the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And we seemed, this, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation, which is all of Israel, raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were one among these the one among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel said the land which we passed through is to spy it out is an exceedingly good land if the lord delights in us he will bring us to this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey only do not rebel against the lord and do not fear the the people of the land for they are a bread for us their protection is removed from them and the lord is with us do not fear them i hope you tracked that story even if you didn't we will we'll break it down in the talk let me just pray before we start jesus our prayer this morning is to enjoy your presence even as we sang we are here for you and our prayer this morning is that you will help us uh dwell in your presence dwell on your promises and more than anything through both of them help us to help us to just enjoy you lord jesus uh you know where each of our hearts are this morning uh how they are aching how they are messed up and we know that the answer is you so would you speak to us this morning in your name we pray jesus amen here's the framework for the talk the first we're going to see god's promise versus our reality second we'll see god's presence in his promise and the third we'll see the surety of god's promise the first thing god's promise versus our reality this they've seen this land this promised land and they say it flows with milk and honey uh and this is its fruit however the people who dwell in the land are strong and their cities are fortified and then they talk about the hittites jebusites amorites dwell in that hill country and and the canaanites dwell by the sea and along the jordan all these people they didn't expect and they said they are strong right uh, god promised israel this land this is his promise it is given and i i know the scripture uh, describes this land as land flowing with milk and honey uh, it is not like willy wonka's chocolate factory flowing with probably kellogg's honey loops it's 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 not that it's it's a it's a uh, a figure of speech to explain the the fruit of the land the productivity of the land it's a, it's it's fertile 
So these 12 leaders of the 12 tribes go on a recce mission. The land did fit their description. They said it is like this. But the reality of the people living there completely put them off. It threw them away. This is not what they had expected, right? Doesn't this sound familiar to us? Especially as followers of Jesus, there are so many promises of God that we have and some very specific promises like this land of Canaan that God has on our lives. Have we seen that God's promise is often different from our reality? Is that, is that been our experience? Let's be honest. Let me speak about my own experience. At a very young age, I had a very clear sense that God is calling me to engage with the culture influencers of the world. And, and this was very clear. I don't know how, I don't know why, but it was very clear. Uh, and so when this opportunity came uh, to, to move to Bombay and work with New City, uh, a church which actually engages with the culture influences of the world, uh, my expectations just shot through the roof. I was like, this is it, God's promise, and this is coming to, tr- I mean, it's coming to pass, I'm 21, I'm living the life, this is going to be awesome. And I would, I would be lying if I said that I didn't think of work weeks which looked like meeting these famous actors and, and these top-of-the-chart musicians and, and these game-changing entrepreneurs. Uh, I thought to myself, this is it. And then I landed in Bombay. It was not as rosy as I expected. The crowds, the dirt, the incessant trains, fighting for a place in the trains. Uh, my, my work week started to look very different from what I expected. Now, don't hear me wrong. I do enjoy it. It was just that it took a while for me to realign my expectations, to, to have realistic expectations of God's promise on my life. And, and even sometimes when I tell my family and friends out of Bombay that this is the church I work with and these are the people we want to engage with, they often ask questions, oh, who, who all have you met? Uh, almost expecting answers like last week I had breakfast with Shah Rukh Khan, Katrina Kaif was just worshipping dude in our church. Right? It... Now all my dreams of engaging with these top culture influences, are they wrong? No. This is the call on not just me, but all of us as New City. And, and God is preparing us slowly but steadily to engage with these people. And not just that, people in this very room, he's going to make our careers flourish to have a greater influence than what we have today. This is God's call on our lives. And this is, and this is not just a future promise. This promise is in action in the here and now. Don't you relate with me? We have these experiences where our reality seems very different. But let's just hold on a minute. Just take a minute to think of what promises God you're holding on to. What is this amazing call that God has on your life? Once you thought of that, let's look at the original promise that God made to Israel. This is the original promise he made to the leader. God says to Moses, I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them uh, up out of the land into into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The presence of these really tough cities was part of the promise. What this passage helped me see is, we often think promised land, milk, honey, yeah, it's happening. But the presence of this was part of the promise. 
what this made me realize is our reality is not very different from God's promises. It is different from our skewed expectations of God's promises. It is not very different. How can we realign our expectations of God's promises and hold on to them? The key is in recognizing God's presence in his promise. If we read on, it says, But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Let's be honest. I don't think these guys are lying and just making excuses. They have walked on their feet in a desert for 365 days to get this. I'm pretty sure the reality is that. And, and uh, they were genuinely scared. These were well-fortified cities, well-built people, and these were mere refugees wandering in the desert. Let's put that in perspective. The moral of the story is not we can do it if we believe it. The moral of the story is not it's in us, let's go and get it. What's the point I'm driving at? Two of these spies out of the twelve, Caleb and Joshua, they have a very different posture to this. They said, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the Lord for they are bred for us. Their protect, the protection is removed from them and, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Here is the big idea. Here is something you can take back. The way to realizing God's promise is by recognizing and enjoying His presence. God's promises need God's presence to be fulfilled. God's promises cannot be fulfilled by ourselves. We are too weak and insignificant. The truth is we are like grasshoppers. While facing God's big promises. We often, we often long for these promises, but we do it without enjoying His presence. And God's promises need His presence. Caleb and Joshua found their faith not in their own ability. Not in the, while the whole nation was against them, they found their faith in the very presence of God. God is with us. This is so true even in my own experience. I know that God has plans for me, for, for me, for Tarwa and I as a couple, for us as a church. The call is huge. And there, I'll be lying if, 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 I, if I say that there are days I don't wake up and think, is this going to work out? What if all this is, is not what God has for me? All these doubts keep crippling me. And, and this is not just me. I'm pretty sure you can relate to this. You moved into this huge city to, to realize your dreams. As professionals and artists, there is always someone better than us. What is going to happen? Am I ever going to make it? I do get frightful and worried. We are, we do feel like grasshoppers facing the giants. But what did this fear, this fear is very normal and we can feel it. But let's take a, let's take a moment and see what did this fear do to Israelites. We, we come to know that from this verse uh, where they say, only do not rebel. This is Caleb and Joshua saying, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Their, their fear of, of this 
made them rebel against God. Their fear was so crippling that they started to believe in their fear more than they started to believe in God. And I'm pretty sure this is, this is very relatable to us. Let me talk about a fear that is crippling me. It often cripples me. Growing up, uh, my parents, were, for, for the most part, were, never had a standard job with a standard paycheck. They, were, they were always served full-time with, either with a church or fulfilling their calling uh, to, to help marriages being restored, broken marriages all throughout. And that's their call. And, and I'd be lying if I say there were moments where we didn't know how and where our money would come from. And uh, my college education, my sister's college education, and just running home day to day. Now that I think of it, even startup entrepreneurs will probably share this feeling. Will the funding ever come? Will, will this ever happen? My parents guarded us from all of this. But we grew up to understand that this is the situation. So I grew up always letting the fear of not having enough cripple me. And even to this day, even to this day, whenever there's a decision on spending or generosity, I often overthink it and end up not doing it at all, rebelling against God asking me to do it. Don't get me wrong, I'm not living in poverty, neither are my parents. We're doing very well. It is just my heart's really uh, lack of trust in God. Lack of trust in the providence of God. This fear often leads me to rebellion against God. It made me realize we often walk the path of fear to get to rebellion. We just don't, when we think of rebellion, we think it's evil heart, wicked heart. No, it's genuine fears that lead us to rebellion. When our belief in our fears is greater than belief in God, the result is often rebellion against God. Times like this, the only comforting thing is to know that God is with me in the here and now. His presence is here. Have we been desperately waiting on God's promises and call in our life to be fulfilled so much so that we stopped enjoying His presence in the here and now? We need to start seeing these promises only in the context of His presence. This leads me to my last point. What is the surety of this promise? How can we be so sure that God will fulfill His promise? This verse says, Caleb and Joshua say, If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. They're basing their whole belief, their whole faith, in, on the basis of God being delighted in them. Now from the way Israel is, believe, is behaving, do you really think that they believe that God is delighting in them? No, they know, in no way they, do they believe that God is delighting in them. In fact, they think the opposite. They say, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and the little ones will become a prey. They think God is out there to get them. They were so far from enjoying God's presence. 
I believe this morning I'm speaking to some hearts here. Does this seem familiar to you? Whether you're, a, you're, whether you're not a follower of Jesus, just a mere explorer of Jesus, probably some of the circumstances that we've been in, some of the struggles that we're going through, some of the mess in our hearts that only we know of, we often look at it and say, there's no way God is going to delight in me, leave alone accept me. He's actually punishing me. How do we know and how can we be so sure that God delights in us? We can be more sure than Israel because of Jesus. Israel vaguely knew about Jesus, but we know for sure that Jesus has come. He has fulfilled the work that he was supposed to. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus, a perfect son of God who chose to become man for you and me. He was absolutely sinless, but he took all our horrible, death-worthy sin upon himself, the kind of stuff that we are ashamed of. He took it all upon himself, willingly let God the Father punish him to death. The mess is now paid for. When Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says it pleased the Father to crush him because all our sin was upon him. And now when we believe that Jesus actually did this for us, functionally believe that God delights in us. Why does God delight in us? Because Jesus lived the perfect life. He was absolutely delighted in Jesus and Jesus gave that away to us on the cross when that divine exchange happened. All our mess upon him, all his goodness upon us. God the Father looks at us through the lens of what Jesus did. You might ask me, this still doesn't solve the problem. I mean, my heart is still messed up. It's real. This mess is still here. This is where the work of the cross becomes even more beautiful. When we put our faith in Jesus, it actually opens up a door for God to make his residence in our sinful hearts. A holy God in our sinful hearts, giving us power over our sinfulness. And how does this happen? More often than not, when we find ourselves miserably deep in sin, the secret to overcoming it is in realizing that God delights in us even though we struggle to forgive ourselves. God delighting in us even though we struggle to forgive ourselves. And this just doesn't stop here. This is not endgame. This is just preparation for the day when we will meet Jesus face to face in the absolute fullness of his presence. We will see him as he is. We will see him in all his glory and not perish because of our sin. Because on that day we will be absolutely sinless. Perfect just as he is. And here's the best part. All the promises that we can bank on. On that day, every promise God has made to us, the Bible says, will find its fulfillment in him. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They will find their fulfillment when we see Him face to face. Our hearts will be fulfilled. In fact, 
the ultimate promise of God is the eternal enjoyment of His presence. That is the ultimate promise. If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, probably you are disappointed by all the fake promises the world is constantly making to us. You are disappointed by the fake promises you are probably making to people. But Jesus is inviting you to this promise. The promise of a new life, a brand new life. It is not just eternal life after death. It is eternal God making his residence in our hearts in the here and now. You might not really understand the whole implications of this today, but trust me when I say this, your heart knows it and desires for it. This morning, do you want to try out this all-satisfying, all-fulfilling promise that Jesus wants to give you? Do you want to try Jesus this morning? As followers, do we think of these promises that God has given us, this call, and often find ourselves being disappointed by how far we are? Are we taking time to dwell and enjoy God's presence? If you want to grow in enjoying God's presence, probably it will help if you see in the last six months how and where have you enjoyed God's presence the most. Just take a moment. Where have I enjoyed God's presence the most in the last six months? For some of us, it's probably the Sunday service. We feel refreshed when we come here. Probably these midweek uh, things uh, called gap groups which happen at people's homes. If this is where you're enjoying God's presence, go there often. Go there often. Start enjoying and delighting and being delighted in God.